Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Glad to be here today. All right, man, me too, me too. So what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? What comes to your mind? You know, when I first hear that word, many times I think about the church that I grew up in. You know, the church, if I could take you to the church I grew up in, I, uh, you, would, you would see this. Um, uh, long wooden pews, um, uh, long aisles, stained glass windows. We had a, a big pulpit and a big choir loft. Uh, those were the things that are what I remember seeing as a kid. I think it started off like that kind of burgundy carpet. Then they got really upgraded to light blue carpet. You know, I mean, uh, all those kind of things. Have I remember that? And most people, when they think about church, they think about the building, right? But it may surprise you to know that uh, the word we have in the Bible for church really has nothing to do with a building. In fact, a little Greek lesson here. The Greek word for church in the Bible is the word ekklesia, right? And it really is a combo word. Ek means out of and kaleo means to be called. And so really what it means is the people called out of the world to a purpose, that's what the church means. It means it was never about a building. It's always been about the people and why we're called out to serve and follow Jesus. Uh, unfortunately, the word church uh, was not translated assembly or gathering or congregation like the word ecclesia probably properly should be translated. But the word church was put in there, which comes from the German derivative, which means a place of religious assembly, a place of gathering. And so when you look at church history in the dark ages, it was all about the place. That's why they build these big cathedrals and big, large facilities, because it's all about the place, the sanctuary, right? That was the church. And of course, many times those big places are run by powerful people that often leveraged their power for their own purposes. And it wasn't until later on through the Reformation, these reformers came and these reformers said, no, 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 let's get the Bible. Let's translate it back in the common people's language. And they restored this idea that the church is not about a place. It has always been about a people. It's not about a building. It's about the people of God. It's not about a facility. It's about God's people set on mission. God's people together with a purpose to accomplish something great. That's what it's about. You know, Jesus didn't come when he says, I will build my church. He's not talking about the facility, right? He's talking about the people. In fact, Jesus came to set in motion a movement. Honestly, if you would go through your Bible and replace the word church with movement, that would probably be the best understanding of the church. The church is movement. What's a movement? It's a peop people that have the same passion, same vision, call together to move it forward. A movement moves. A movement is in motion, right? You can't spell movement without spelling move. And Jesus came to start a movement. Let me ask you something. Are you involved in a movement? Would you say, man, my life is actually a part, an integral part of a movement of God? Is our church involved in a movement? Well, we're going to talk about that today. I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open it up to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. And uh, well, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be looking today, at, beginning at verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is the word of God. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were going, they were gazing in, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes uh, stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Now stop right there. This is an account that took place after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, and after 40 days where he appeared to his disciples proving that he was in fact alive. This is the last face-to-face meeting that they would have with Jesus. And, uh, and they, they say to Jesus, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore everything? I mean, you're going to kick the Romans out and you're going to restore Israel? Is that, is that what's going to happen now? Is this the end of the age? And he said, look, it's not, not for you to know the details about the, the last days. But here's what I want you to do. And then he gives them a command. You will, you will be, uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses. Starting right here in Jerusalem, in our city, and spreading out to the outer regions in Judea and Samaria, and then beyond that, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I, I, I'm going to set you on a purpose. Uh, you're going to be, you're going to, what you're going to do is you're going to start some, this thing and it's going to go viral, all right? You're going to, it's going to explode from here. You're going you're to be a part of a movement that will literally sweep around the world, in fact, I guess if you were going to ask what is this whole point, this passage, I would say it this way. Jesus started a movement, and it's, he wants us to get moving, all right? all right? Jesus started a movement, and he wants us to get moving. That's a great place for an amen, so let me try that one more time. Jesus started a movement, and he wants us to get moving. Amen. Come on, come on, 1130, here we go. He wants us to get moving, folks. Jesus has always been on the move. God's always been on the move. God was on the move in Genesis, creating. God was on the move when he's taking Abraham out of his homeland to a new place. God was on the move when he's rescuing Israel out of bondage. God's on the move with a a pillar of, of fire at night, a cloud by day. God's always been on the move, and God is on the move now. Many times we think, oh yeah, well that just kind of happened back in Bible times. I know God was on the move, but God's really not doing anything now. He's kind of hit pause button until Jesus comes back. No, no, no. God is moving now around the world. God is on the move. And we need to join him in that movement. He's called us. That's what the church is. People called out to do what God has called us to do and join him in the movement. Well, what would that look like? What would that look like for this church? to join the movement? What would it look like for you to join the movement? What would, what would that actually practically look like? What I'm gonna share with you today is where we're going over the next five years, where our church is headed over the next five years, all right? And uh, I'm gonna try to answer that in th- with answering, by answering three questions. One is, where is the movement taking us? That's number one, where is the movement taking us? Number two, why are we going there? And then lastly, uh, what will it take? What will it take for our church to really join Jesus in his global movement?
All right? So let's look at the first one. Where is the movement taking us? Jesus told his disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, starting where you are, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What that means is he said, you're gonna multiply. You're gonna, you're gonna go viral. What's happening right here is gonna spread and radiate. This is the epicenter of the movement that's gonna spread out and it's gonna go viral all uh, starting in the outer region and then to the ends of the earth. That's what he, Jesus called his church to do, to multiply. Now listen, uh, that's exactly what they did. If you read the book of Acts, which by the way, the book of Acts in your Bible is really the story of how the church grew. It picks up after Jesus' resurrection and what happened, how did the church grow and spread all over the known world? Well, that's what the book of Acts tells us. And what we find is that the early church understood it and they multiplied and they grew. In fact, as we study it, we learned that in two years, they had filled all Jerusalem with their teaching. In two years, the whole city had heard about Jesus. The whole city was abuzz about Jesus. In four and a half years, what we find is multiplying churches, churches that were starting churches that were starting churches. It had already gone way beyond any one person's ability to control it. In 19 years, it says this. It says that they turned the world upside down in Acts 17, verse 6. In 19 years, the whole world seemed to be in the throes of this Christian movement. And in 28 years, the book of Colossians says that the, that the whole world uh, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. Isn't that crazy? Man, uh, two years filling the city, uh, four and a half years multiplying churches, 19 years, it's spreading out, 28 years. Within 30 years, the gospel had radiated all over the world. What would it look like, man, to be in a church that was doing that? I mean, how cool would that be, right? To be a church that was like on the edge and then actually starting planting churches, making disciples, doing the things that Jesus actually told us to do. What would that look like right here? Take a look at this. When Jesus stood on Mount Arbel overlooking the Sea of Galilee, he cast a great vision to his disciples. It was a compelling vision. It was filled with adventure and risk. The vision called them out of small thinking and inward living, and it called them to give their very lives to the greatest cause. That vision was to make disciples and multiply to the ends of the earth. And those men heard it, and they committed to it. And today, the light of the gospel is shining in the darkest places on the globe. We are seeing God at work right now, and the kingdom of God advancing more than ever before in recorded history. Listen, the call to make disciples wasn't just for those early disciples. It was for you, and it was for me. And that's why I'm so excited to see our church begin to take a new step of faith and ask God to go before us in a brand new way. We believe that the Lord is leading us over the next five years to launch two new disciple-making churches in North Texas, to launch two new disciple-making churches in the Northeast United States, and to launch five new disciple-making churches all around the world in places like Montreal and Lusaka and Madrid and Jerusalem and London. Our vision of the future is anchored in our past. The history of disciple making and multiplying at our church has led to an opportunity to multiply our church. I'm excited about using my experience to help us start nine new churches in the next five years. In my experience, I've learned that when you have faith for a God-sized vision, God is always faithful to deliver that vision. He often multiplies our vision way beyond our capacity to believe in His plan. 
We have the same opportunity, First Collierville, to take our disciple-making culture on the road locally, nationally, and globally. The world is waiting. Let's get busy. We've been worshiping here at First Colleyville, gosh, over 30 years. One of the things that uh, we are so excited about here at First Colleyville is the fact that uh, we now are on a mission to make disciples and to grow, not only here in our own congregation, but throughout the community and for that matter abroad. One example of experience we've had is uh, we spent five years in Hawaii and while there we participated in the local church and became very involved in that ministry. Both Mary Jane and I uh, were quite involved and spent a lot of time not only in our church but in the total Hawaii area uh, from a church standpoint both on mission trips and serving the Lord in many ways. In 2011, my wife and I moved to Colleyville, and we were looking for a church that we could plug our family into, a young family at the time, and we wanted them to go to church with the same kids that they would go to school with. Early into that, Pastor Craig pulled me aside, singled me out, and taught me about discipleship, about what it means to do that um, for your walk with Christ, that it's not selfish Christianity, but you can reach out and share that with other people and make them disciples. So sometime later, I got asked to be on the Finance Committee, the Chairman of the Finance Committee, so I get an inside view of the generosity of our church. Um, it's not just personally to go and make disciples, but we should do that on a level that is national and global. And the only way to do that is with generous resources, which we found at our church to be abundant. You know, the, the amount of uh, resources that you give, that we collect as our church, have given us the ability to go places and to do things that other churches would dream of, that we dream of, as a goal for our church, is to go touch and reach these people and make disciples. And I think that your generosity has made that possible. One of the statements in our church code is, we stand knee deep in faith. When God called the Israelites to cross the Jordan and take on new territory, they had to wade out into the Jordan River and trust God to make a way for them. It was an act of faith. It was a risk. They were facing the dangers and uncertainty of the future with great faith in God. And that is what God is calling us to do right here and right now, to wade out into the future, to stand in deep in faith, to start moving and to trust that He will go before us. So will you join us in this great vision? Listen, I'm asking you to do just a few things. First, to pray. Pray for God to go before us. Pray for people to be saved. Pray for new believers to be disciple and mobilized. Pray for God to just show up in this amazing way that only He can do. Secondly, I'm asking you to help, to help us communicate this great vision to the people that you know. Help us to call God's people to attempt something great with God and to join Him where He is already at work. And thirdly, just to go. Maybe God is calling you to do something new to go to a new place, to begin a new work for Him. Listen, God has called us to make disciples and to multiply. And when we do this, He has promised that He will be with us. Now is the time. The door is open. Hey, let's do this together and watch God do something amazing through us that will bring glory to His name. All right, so church, we've got a lot of work to do. We gotta roll up our sleeves, all right? Over the next five years, to plant nine disciple-making churches, both here in North Texas and the Northeast and overseas. And God is going to, and you might say, well, Craig, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of a big idea. I don't know if we can actually pull that off. Did you know what's actually happening? We already have church plant in Montreal. We are launching our church plant in Lusaka this month. 
Uh, our church plant in Madrid will launch either in December or January. It's literally on the launching pad right now. We already have church planters we're identifying for London and already church planters identifying for Israel, for Jerusalem. So God is already going before us and we already have our church planter ready to roll uh, here for North Texas. In fact, next Sunday, you're gonna meet these church planters. They're actually gonna be on the stage from Montreal, Lusaka, Madrid, and North Texas. You're gonna get to hear them, hear their stories, be in the house, get to love on them and encourage them. Folks, this is actually happening right now, all right? And it's an exciting, exciting time. But you know what? You may have a question in your mind. You may say, well, you know, I, I get, you know, planting church overseas, I get that, but, but man, why do we need to plant a church here? I mean, uh, man, preacher, I drive by a lot of churches to come to this one, and it seems like there's a church on every corner. Why do we need to plant a church right here in North Texas? And that's a really good question, and I want to answer that. Recently, I was in Chicago at a church planters think tank. There were about 50 of us there, really leaders, church planting leaders of networks from all of the United States. And we came together and they gave us some fresh data, some new numbers that really got my attention. First number was this. This is one in 1,000. That is the ratio of churches to people in the United States. There's roughly one church for every 1,000 people in the United States currently right now. Okay, if we wanted to keep that ratio in the next 30 years, in other words, in 2050, in 30 years, if we wanted that ratio to be the same, not more, but just the same, we would have to go to this number. And that is we'd have to start 1,900 new churches every single year. We'd have to start, we'd have to add 1,900 churches every single year. You say, well, how are we doing in planting and starting new churches? Well, that's the third number here, and that is 4,000. We're actually starting roughly about 4,000 churches, all these networks combined, about 4,000 churches a year in the United States. You're like, Craig, that's great, right? If we only need 1,900, we're playing 4,000, we're crushing it. I mean, that's awesome. Well, hold on a second. That's where this next number comes in, and that is 3,700. We're actually losing 3,700 churches that are dying. 3,700 churches are dying every single year. They're closing the doors, they're turning off the lights, they're padlocking, and they're dead. So what that means is we're actually only netting about 300 churches a year in our current rate, only 300. We need 1,900. What that means for you is this. The, the United States that you grew up in is gonna be very different than the one that your children and your grandchildren will grow up in. 30 years from now, the children that have been born this year will be 30. They'll be having families of their own and, grow, and raising children of their own. There will be fewer churches, more secular environment, more unchurched than ever in our nation's history. That's why we need to plant churches. Because only in planting churches can we ensure that there are enough churches to begin to win the people that are around them? You say, well, Craig, why are there 3,700 churches dying every year? That's a terrible statistic. And it is hard to, to swallow. You know why they're dying? Because they've forgotten what the church is about. They thought the church was about them. 
They thought, well, if I just have my seat and my pew and I come to my place and hear my music and, and go to my Bible study, then that's all that's needed. And they've forgotten that the church was never about the place. It was about the people and a purpose. It was about the movement. It was about making disciples and multiplying and playing. They forgot the whole reason why they existed. And so they died. And every church that forgets it will die. Every single one. Listen, we cannot afford to ever forget, ever, ever forget why we are here. We're not here for ourselves. We do not exist to ourselves. We exist for the movement. That's why we exist. Church is a movement. And that's why we're here. And by the way, we have a great opportunity right here in North Texas. Did you know that what's happening right here in North Texas, there is an explosion of population. You probably have figured that out. I mean, if you look in just the metro area around us, we are exploding with population. I saw a recent uh, quote, I thought you would like it. It says, uh, 10 counties in North Texas, including Tarrant and Denton, will have 9.1 million people living in households by the year 2030. 9.1 million people. This area is exploding. And many of these people have never heard the gospel. Many of these people do not know Christ. Many of these people even come from other uh, nations and nationalities and backgrounds that desperately need a church that will tell them about Jesus, all right? So we have this tremendous opportunity and we have this great need for disciple-making churches. Where we, where's this vision taking us? Where's the movement taking us? To plant nine churches over the next five years. Why is it so important? Because the need is great. The need is great. But what will it take? What will it take for us to really see this happen? So that five years from now, when we look back on this message, you're gonna go, yeah, man, God did even bigger things. What will it take? Well, let's go back to the passage, all right? Answers are in the Bible, right? Don't forget that. Answers are in the Bible. Uh, let's look at Acts uh, 1, verse 9 again. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. You know what caused these men in the early church to push out and to make disciples and plant church, to get uncomfortable, to do things that were way out of their comfort zone, even to risk their lives? You know what, what caused them to do that? They had a sense of urgency. They had a sense that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus has us here for a purpose and he's coming again. And man, when he comes, we don't want to be caught not doing what he told us to do. There was a sense of drive. We got a job to do. We got a mission to fulfill that Jesus is coming back. And they were willing to pay the price for the calling that was on their life. We have a couple of our members, First Colleyville, that are in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, Africa, this last week. Uh, Ouagadougou is a city, a main city there. And uh, that particular gathering is a gathering of church planters. These church planters are learning uh, about how to make disciples. They're learning about how to plant churches. And we're actually there helping them learn and grow and develop and to spread out. There's a, they have a vision of planting 4,000 churches throughout the villages of Ouagadougou. In fact, on, on this next picture, you see these church planters and their wives. 
You see our uh, Becky and Lonnie and Chad right there in the middle? I want you to leave that picture up there and I want you to look at their faces. Look closely. These men and women are planting churches in areas that are increasingly dangerous because of the threat of Islamic terrorism. They're literally putting their lives on the line. If you look at their faces closely, some of these will give their lives for the gospel. Some of them will go out to plant a church and not come home. I think of one of the church planters is there, his name is Omar. Omar felt called by God, there's an urgency, I gotta go get the message out. So he went to a small village called Nana. And there in that village, the only place, the only people there that would take him in to let him stay there was this man who practiced black magic in Islam. And he said, you can stay with me. And he had boils all over his legs. So Omar stayed with him. And one night he, he gathered some people together and he showed the Jesus film to the village. And when they saw the, the gospel portrayed in the Jesus film, conviction fell on their hearts. And this man that he was living with, this witchcraft guy, this witch doctor, gave his life to Christ. Not only did he give his life to Christ, but then Omar began to pray that God would heal his legs as a physical demonstration of God's power so that this village could see that the Lord is truly God and that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. And so he prayed in Jesus' name for God to heal his legs. And you know what? God did it. God healed this man's legs and the whole village began to come and see who is this God that heals the witch doctor's legs? And they gathered together and more people were saved and now that little hut that they live in, that is their church where they gathered today to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's like stuff out of the book of Acts. You know what, that's happening right now. Why is it happening? Because they have this sense of urgency Many of these men and women, they're giving their lives. Now, let me ask you something. If they were to come here, imagine what they might say to you when they look at you and say, you know, that, I'm putting my life on the line. What, what are you doing? Why are you not doing anything? Why are you not going? Why are you not sharing? Why? You know, sometimes people will say to me, well, Craig, you know, I'm just not really called to do that. You know, that's not my calling, right? I mean, that's your calling. That's a missionary. That's their calling. That's not my calling. Uh, eh, wrong, right? It's all of our calling. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, you will be my witness. So let me put the emphasis here. You will be my witnesses. Right where you are and starting out from there. Folks, it's all of our callings. The question is not, are you called? The question is, are you obedient to the calling God's already placed on your life? When you stand before Jesus, will you have anything to show? When you stand before Christ, are you gonna have anything to say, this is, this is the fruit of my obedience. This is what my life really counted for. This is what my life was really about, Lord. See the fruit of my life. You see, the whole reason why God's given you pastors is to, to spur you on so that when you do stand before Christ, you're not empty-handed but I've spurred you on and challenged you enough to do what God called you to do so that there will be, you will glorify God with your life when you give an answer to him. Listen, Jesus has started a movement and he's calling us to get moving, to get started. Where are we going? 
We're gonna plant nine churches over the next five years. Why are we doing it? Because the need is great and the opportunity is right in front of us. And what is it gonna take? It's gonna take us to recapture this sense of urgency and calling that is on our life. You say, well, how do I stir up this urgency? Because it's so easy to be complacent. Let me give you a couple of things. I already mentioned some of them in the video, but I just want to remind you again. One is pray. Man, we just need to pray. You know what, what I loved last Sunday night was we gathered together. If you missed, by the way, tonight, you missed a night of worship, you missed out, right? Because it was a moment and uh, you couldn't hardly fit everybody into the chapel. People were standing room only. People had to go out in the hallway because there weren't enough room to fit everybody in there and our God's people are praying and worshiping that's what it's going to take that kind of fervent prayer to fuel a movement when we get on our face and we cry out to God the Holy Spirit empowers us for the work that's ahead of us this whole movement started in a prayer meeting he said go back and pray until the Holy Spirit comes on you then you it's time to go so pray another thing you can do is just help roll up your sleeves and be a part of what we're doing here Go back to your group and talk about it and, and be involved in helping when we, when we offer opportunities. Don't say, oh, I don't have time or all oh, that's optional. No, get involved and help. Another thing you can do is go. Listen, some of you have already been to Montreal. Some of you are headed this year and this next year to Madrid. Some of you are leaving this month to go to Lusaka to actually walk the streets and help launch the church that's gonna start in Lusaka. Listen, you need to go. You've got to go. Some of you, God's going to call to leave here and to be a part of our church plant in North Texas. And you're going to say, I'm going to do it because God's called us and the urgency is great. God needs to move you out. When was the last time you did something uncomfortable that moved you out of your comfort zone? You've got to go. And the last thing is you've got to give. It takes all of us giving all of us give in together. Not one person bears the weight of it all. We all collectively give. That's why uh, the big give is, is coming on November the 24th. This is the only time of the year that I really talk about it, but I'm unashamed in, in asking you to give and to give generously and give a lot. Why? Because when we do that together, we're, we're allowing, we're giving resources to plant a church that will make disciples and multiply to the ends of the earth. And I can't imagine anything that would please Jesus more than that. Nothing else would bring a smile across his face and to see his people being generous to give to something that is holy, not for them, but for the kingdom. Are you willing to do that? Listen, folks, Jesus has launched a movement, but we got to get moving. And we will move by the grace of God, by the power of God. We will not sit on the sidelines. We will not close these doors. We will be a part of the movement until he calls us home. Won't you bow your heads with me? When I talk about us being a part of the movement, really I'm talking about you. Because we can only do collectively what we choose to do individually. So will you be a part of the movement? So I wanna ask you to, to do something that may be a little uncomfortable for you, but for you just to open up your hands, maybe lay them in your lap with palms up as a symbol of surrender. And I wanna ask you to pray a very 
dangerous prayer. And it goes something like this, Lord, here I am. I want you to use me for your purpose. Just pray that to him. Lord, I'm not clutching anything in my hands. I'm not holding on to anything. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to pray. Lord, I want my life to bear fruit that matters when I stand before you. Father, we just come before you today and we're just so thankful that because of the obedience of this early church that we have heard the gospel, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem and reached all the way to us. We're here today, this church exists because somebody decided to go, to get out of their comfort zone, to start something new, to be obedient to your calling. So Lord, I, I pray that you'd forgive us, God, when we have had, we've become complacent, that we've been afraid, that we've been distracted, that we've allowed other people to engage, but we go on about our life as if the calling doesn't exist. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, I pray that in this church that you would always burn bright a urgency to make disciples and to plant churches and to be a part of the movement. God, I pray that this church's light would not go out, but that we would always be fixated on what you called us to do. And Lord, I pray that from this place you would birth multiple churches that would plant churches, that would plant churches and disciples that would make disciples, that would make disciples that, the, that the, the influence of this place in this town would ring out and radiate out all over the world. Not for our namesake, but for your name. Not for our glory, but for your glory. Father, the fact that you would even use us is an amazing thought. So Lord, keep our hearts close to you. Keep our hands open and surrendered. Lord, keep our vision fixated on your vision, on your movement. And let us be busy about the work until you come and take us home. Even so, Lord, come. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Hey, let's just thank God for his uh, word today, shall we?